You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, good morning, 10 o'clock. Good to see y'all here today. Glad that you're here. The last 10 weeks, we've been walking verse by verse through one of the richest, most profound books, I think, of, of the Bible. It's rich because it's a doctrinal powerhouse. But it's also rich because it speaks of, of a practical nature of, of the dailiness of our lives for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let's do a quick review, but first you're going to need your copy of God's Word open. So let's go to the book of Colossians together. Perhaps by this point in the summer you have a ribbon there or a piece of paper there, or you know exactly where Colossians is to be found. It's the 12th book of the New Testament. Let's go there because I want to just to kind of review a few things that we've, we've looked at, a few things we've learned few things that the Spirit of the Lord has taught us in the book of Colossians. So uh, assuming you're there, in Colossians we see, first of all, that Jesus is first in creation. Uh, this is a lot what chapter one is, is about, that Christ is supreme, that he goes before all things, that he holds all things together, that he is preeminent, that he is incomparable which is why we've been saying this summer that Jesus isn't just one more thing to be adored. He's not just one more thing to be treasured. He is the only one to be adored, the only one to be treasured. In other words, we don't add Jesus to our long list of things that we like. He is life, and he is first, and he is our all. So in chapter one, we see a whole lot that Jesus is first in all things. He is first in creation. Then we see that Jesus went first in salvation. Chapter two, stay with me on, on this thought. It was Christ who was buried and then rose again. And in doing so, he set for us the pattern of our salvation, that we were buried under sin, under the weight of our shame. And then in Christ Jesus, we have been raised to new life. It's that picture of baptism. We saw it this morning. We saw it in the first gathering as well. We saw two students being baptized, the first at 10 o'clock today. It was a picture of, of, of them being raised into new life. In fact, it uses that word baptism there in chapter 2, uh, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the powerful working of of God. So chapter 2, so much of it speaks of this pattern that Christ has set for us as his people because Christ was buried then rose again. We too, in this pattern, were buried in our sins but raised to new life in Christ. Because that is true in chapter 1, that Jesus is first. Because that's true in chapter 2, that Jesus went first. Therefore, Jesus, thirdly, should be first in our daily lives. And this is what chapter 3 is, is speaking of. It's really the ethic of, of a Christian, the ethic of one who has been raised in Christ, the ethics of one who is living in Christ Jesus. So Paul's going to instruct us to put Jesus first in our daily lives. Um, you know that 90% of our lives that's not spent here at church. The way that we spend our, our lives and, and rightfully treat others outside of the church family, outside of, of Sunday morning. So I really think that scripture is saying here that Jesus should not just be our top priority on Sunday mornings only. There's a carry through. If you're in Christ, Christ is in you Monday through Saturday as well. Amen. And chapter three is reminding us how we rightly relate to others. We saw in verse one through 17, these last few weeks, that Christ should be first in our relationships. 
And so Paul uses this picture of, of clothing that is put on and clothing that is taken off. He talks about taking off malice and taking off slander and taking off anger and taking off wrath, taking off obscene talk. But instead, we're to wrap ourselves in what? In compassion and forgiveness toward others and humility uh, and, and patience. That's, these all speak of how we rightly relate to one another as people in Christ. Then last week, we saw that Christ should be first in the home. We see that in verse 18 through 21 of, of chapter 3, the relationship between kids toward their parents, a wife toward her husband, a husband toward his wife, parents toward their kids. Well, today we're going to see in this passage Christ being first in our work relationships. So Colossians chapter 3, let's pick up where we dropped off last week. Let's pick it up in verse, verse 22. Verse 22 says, bond servants. Let's stop right there. We did not get very far, I know, in verse 22. There, there's a few things uh, worth noting before we go any further. When it says bond servants, this is not chattel slavery. This is not a person who is owned by somebody else or is the property of somebody else. As we have seen in, in dark chapters, evil chapters of our own history as a nation. This is not speaking about someone who's taken and then for financial gain is, is put to work and they're owned by, by a master or they become the property of, of a master. This is a bond servant. And, and bond servants, really we don't see this a whole lot in our culture today, but bond servitude in New Testament times was, was very popular. You became a bond servant primarily in, in three different ways. Number one, you owed money to somebody and you couldn't pay them. You didn't have the currency to pay them. So you would say, I will work for you. I will work off that loan. I will work off that money that I owe you. And so that bond servant might work for the next six months or the next five years to pay back that money, to pay back that loan that he could not pay or she could not pay with, with currency. So it's a picture of, of having to labor off the loan. It would be as if Citibank were to call you this week and say, hey, that $10,000 you owe in your credit card, um, you need to pay that. And you'd say, I, I, don't, I can't pay that. And Citibank will go, okay, well, then you come and, and work in our garden here at the Citibank headquarters for the next three years, and we'll just call it even after three years. That's, that would be a bond servitude to Citibank. It's the same way it was New Testament times. You're in servitude, in a bonding relationship with someone because you owe them money and you cannot pay, therefore you work for it. The second way that bond servanthood would work is if you wanted land, maybe to farm, maybe to, to raise cattle on, you didn't have money for the land, you would go to the landowner and would say, I would like this amount of land from you I can't afford it, but if I work for you without pay for the next six months or the next three years, the next seven years, could I then at the end of that bond servitude have that land? So that was an arrangement that was made. So maybe first of all, you had a loan you could not pay off um, or you had land that you wanted to buy, but you could not pay for it. And so you worked for that land. Really the third way that the bond servanthood would, would work or bond servitude would, would work is if you wanted to learn a trade. So you wanted to know how to be a, a blacksmith, or you wanted to know how to, to run a store. You would go to that blacksmith, or you'd go to that store owner, and you would say, I want to learn what you are doing, and so can I work uh, in, in, in your smith shop? Can I work at your retail place? Can I, and I'll work there for free for six months or two years. I just want to learn what you are doing. So that's bond being a bond servant here in the New Testament. So with all of that understood, maybe we're kind of on the same page about what it means to be a bond servant. I remember as a kid, 
My dad would, would pull this joke fairly often. In fact, I'm a little embarrassed how many times I fell for it. At a restaurant, uh, we'd be seated, we'd get through eating, and my dad would do this number. He'd like pat his back pockets, and he would say, oh no, kids, I forgot my wallet. You're going to have to go to the back and wash dishes to, to pay for our meal. I remember the first few times going, Dad, why did you forget? Don't forget your wallet. Like someone needs to pay for this meal. I'm seven, so there's no way I'm paying, paying for this. Or mom, I think dad's starting to lose it. Like make sure he gets his wallet before we go to Cheddar's. Like this is really important for me not, I don't wash dishes at my own house. I can't imagine washing dishes for, for people, you know, around us. And so I failed for that many times. That not only is a corny joke for my dad, it is all, that's bond servanthood. If you could not pay for your meal, you would say, I'm gonna go wash the dishes until I have paid off what I owe. So with that understanding, let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Bondservants, you know what that is now. <laughs> Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, and not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. And then in what I believe is the weirdest chapter break in all the New Testament, for some reason, chapter four begins right here. That has everything to do with the end of chapter three. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. It's kind of hard to preach this passage because this exact culture does not necessarily find itself in our culture today, but I think there's a close equivalency in the working relationships that we have um, even now, even within our present society. So here's what I want to walk through with you today. Enjoying your job as a Christian. For some of you, this may be a perfect timing because you're dreading already nine o'clock tomorrow morning. So what does it look like to enjoy your job as those who are in Christ Jesus. First of all, we see in this passage, work with sincerity and enthusiasm as to the Lord. If it's a job you don't love, you know what God's word says? Love it. Work it with enthusiasm. Work it with sincerity of, of heart. This is what we see in verse 22. Bond servants. Those who are working, obey in everything. Those who are your supervisors, those who are your earthly masters, not just by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. If you're an employee, you're to, to obey, you're to heed in everything that your supervisor says. And what does it say here? Not with eye service. Uh, that, that simply means not just when the supervisor is looking, as if your sole responsibility was just to please them. But instead, Paul tells us here, with a single heart, really as you work, you're working for the Lord. You're working to please God. Now, I do want to call a quick time out and say that there are some exceptions, of course, to this. Just as there were exceptions for a wife being submissive to her husband, just as kids being submissive and honoring their, their parents. So, for, so those who work, employees, let me just put it this way. If your supervisor ever asks you to do something outside of the framework of God's scripture or God's character, it's a hard no. So we, we see that all throughout scripture. It is better to obey God than to obey man. And so there are some exceptions to this. However, what we see here 
is that if you are serving on staff or serving on a team or you report to any kind of supervisor, you are to work with sincerity of heart. You're to work, the ESV renders the word heartily. Some of your translations render that word in Greek enthusiastically. And the great etymology of the word enthusiastic is, is in, inside, theo, which is the Greek word for, for God. So you work as if God was in you. And Christian, here's good news. He is. And so you work with the inner power of, of God working mightily through you. You work with God's presence in you. So the Christian bondservants here in this passage realized that they were to be submissive to their supervisor, to their masters. And according to that work relationship, their masters ruled over them for that six months or that three years or, or that seven years. But understand this. It's not that the supervisors were superior intellectually or morally, or, or spiritually, or in any other way. It was just the logistics of, of the work. And here's what they did. And I, I find this so powerful because God's word speaks so much about this honor culture that I'm afraid we don't live in very often. This honor culture, we joyfully honor others. We, we joyfully honor those who are older than we are. We, we joyfully honor our spouse. We joyfully honor our kids. We joyfully honor one another within the family of God. But here, the bond servants, they put themselves in a position to obey. So it's summed up here in verse 23. So whatever you do, whatever your job is, whatever your employment is, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your Rewards. So the call here is to be totally committed to serve as if your supervisor was the Lord himself and to serve enthusiastically, God working on the inside through you. Here's the second thing that I think is a really important work ethic for us. Don't be lazy or dishonest for there is an accounting. Verse 25, the very last verse of chapter three, for the wrongdoer, will be paid back for the wrong that he has done. And there is no partiality. In other words, if the worker fails to heed instructions, he or she will be punished. I think within context here, it's the Lord who does the discipline. Because God, we see, is, is an impartial God. So don't think, what, I think what Scripture is saying here, don't think just because you're a Christian or just because you're in Christ or just because you're mature in your faith uh, and maybe that you have some special favor from God. No, the, the Christian worker is not to presume upon his Christianity or her Christianity for justification for laziness or dishonesty as an employee. So if the worker has done wrong, Scripture says that worker will, will pay. Bottom line, here's what I'm trying to say. We're not exonerated because we're Christians. When, when, when we work, we work as to the Lord. That does not give us any special favor to be lazy. In fact, I would say the hardest workers in Waco should be the Christians in Waco. The, the most honest workers in Waco should be the Christians in Waco. Here's the third one for some of you who are supervisors. And if right now you're thinking, all I have is supervisors, just know one day you potentially could be a supervisor yourself. So here it is. As a supervisor, be fair and kind, knowing that you work under the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. We could pull into that. Supervisors, treat your staff, treat your team justly and fairly, knowing that you, supervisor, you also have a master in heaven. Here's what Paul is saying. We all have a boss. 
For those who are supervisors here today at Highland, it is a good daily reminder for us to always remember we also have a supervisor with a capital S, a master in heaven who is watching over us. We want God to treat us fairly. We want God to treat us kindly. So in that same way, this is how we treat those who work under your supervision. Have you noticed, Highland, I know you have because you're an unbelievably bright congregation. Have you noticed that in every interaction, in every one of those relationships of chapter three, every interaction, every relationship is done first and foremost, listen, to Jesus and for Jesus. Just go back. I know your Bible's still open. Look at verse 17. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Look at verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Look at verse 22 again. Bond servants, obey in everything who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Look at the end of verse 24. You are serving the Lord Christ. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master, a Lord in heaven. Do you hear a theme? It may look like or seem like to you that you're in relationship doing things for others and to others. Your church family, your, your work family, your parents, your spouse, your friends, your boss, your co-workers, your team. But what scripture is saying is here, actually, you're doing all these things to Jesus and for Jesus. Here's what I'm trying to say, Christian. We actually live for an audience of one. Here's the main theme, I think, of chapter three. We serve the Lord Christ. Believer, we, we serve the Lord Christ in every second of every day. Every single thing that, that, that we do, every place that our feet take us, every action, every attitude, every word that we utter, this should be the first thought in our minds that all of this is actually an offering to Christ. What if you saw the way you treated your family as an offering to Christ? The way that you treat your neighbor as an offering to Christ. The way that you treat your children. Children, the way that you treat your parents as an offering to Christ. Supervisors, the way that you treat your staff as an offering to Christ. Those who serve on staff looking to your supervisor as an offering to to Christ. Anytime you're making a decision how you're going to respond to somebody, how you're going to respond to that person who just wears on your last nerves, or, or that person who cuts you off in traffic at Valley Mills, or that person who puts 20 items on the 15-item belt at HEB, like you feel like they deserve a conversation. <laughs> or you feel like they deserve an unkind word. But here's the, the question, Christian. What does Jesus deserve? In that moment, our first and foremost reaction should be an offering to Christ. How we respond to our spouse, to your wife, to your husband. What if instead of thinking things emotionally, here's what I feel like saying, here's what I feel like doing. What if instead, husbands and wives, we treated each other as an offering to Christ? Children, your, your parents may not be perfect. In fact, I can probably put a money-back guarantee that they are not. I know my kids' parents are not perfect. But what if the way you responded to them 
was instead an offering to Christ. I think this is what Scripture is saying here. Verse 22, when you're doing your job, you're working on a staff under a supervisor, you're doing it first and foremost as an offering to, to Christ. I mean, your boss may be a jerk. He may be absent. He, he may not treat you well, but she or he may not even deserve the best, but, but Jesus does. So I think chapter three is this work ethic and this relationship ethic that turns everything upside down because here in our nation today, our culture today, all we're looking at is the person, the neighbor, the person with whom we're frustrated. But chapter three is telling us to see everything in light of offering it to Christ. First and foremost, it's an offering to Jesus. So whatever you do, do it as some, something done for the Lord and not, not for people. How you do your schoolwork, what you choose to do with your, with your career, how you spend your money, how you treat others, how you respond to your wife, to, to your parents, to your husband, to your kids. All of this is done for Jesus. So, so this is really the, the lower story of chapter three it is the work ethic and the relationship ethic and the home ethic and the marriage ethic of those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's an upper story all throughout the book of Colossians, especially here in chapter three. And I think this is the upper story. Here it is. There's not a square inch of your life over which Jesus does not emphatically declare mine. Everything about you, Christian, belongs to the Lord. He says this of your finances, of your body, of your sexuality, of your free time, of your relationships, of your gender, your hobbies, your weekend, your family, your friendships, your attitude. And Christian, your very life Every square inch about you, Jesus looks at you and says, that's mine. And we struggle with that in a culture that tells us that we should say, this is mine. This time is mine, this life is mine, this heart is mine, this free time is mine, this cash is mine, this body is mine. And Jesus emphatically says, no, it belongs to me. If you just wanted Jesus to save you, but not to rule over you as Lord, you have the wrong Jesus. Amen. He is absolutely a beautiful Savior, but he also absolutely, Christian, he has claim over your life. So the question really is not how religious are you? The question in light of Colossians chapter 3 is how surrendered are you? How surrendered is your life? Well, Helen, if you'll allow me, I'd love to have a little um, fireside chat with you. I know it's really hot outside to have a fireside chat. But we try to do this at the end of, of, of the summers, just kind of make sure we're on the same page as a church family. Um, we're two weeks away from, from Highland feeling and looking really differently. More than likely, you walked in this morning and found your seat, your seat. Um, but this may be a good Sunday for us to realize all of these seats belong to the Lord and not to us because we're just a few weeks from, you're, gonna, you're about to lose your place is what I'm trying to say in the next few weeks. On August 21st, um, there will probably be about 12 to 1,400 more people uh, that are here today on campus. That's why we'll go to, you know, to add an, an extra gathering. 
But I wanna kind of prepare our hearts. And I love that God had us in Colossians. And to be honest, I love that God had us in Colossians chapter three because it speaks so much on how we are to, to deal with one another with humility, with, with patience, with, with forgiveness. And so what's gonna happen in a few weeks, students all come back into town. Uh, I mean, certainly Baylor students, but also MCC students, TSTC students as well. Families all converge back at the same time. There's several families out this morning on, on vacation, but they will all be back because school starts pretty soon. And so um, we're guessing, again, probably 1,300, 1,500, maybe 1,800 more people will be here um, on August 21st. And I just want to kind of prepare our hearts for that. I want to prepare you for seating. I want to prepare you for, for parking. And probably the best way for me to explain this um, is just for you to look at the different gatherings that we have available starting here uh, on August 21st. That might help you a little bit, kind of know the, uh, the priorities. If you can go to 1120, and I, maybe it's a big if for some of you, maybe your ABF schedule or your work schedule or your kid's schedule kind of demands that you're at this time. But if you can go to 1120, That'd be awesome. In fact, if you like it where you can like pick your own seat, 1120 is, is the place for you. I think I preach my best sermon at 1120, so maybe you'd want to be there at 1120 for, for that. Not necessarily shorter, which I know for some of you is my best sermon, but it's, it's a good sermon at, at 1120. The, the next best time would be, would be 840. Um, there will certainly be a, a big crowd on August 21st at 840, uh, but if that time works for you, or 1120 just cannot work for you, but 840 could work for you, that'd be great. There are also two little numbers at the bottom of the screen. Uh, they will remain unmentioned, but it's actually the time frame that you're in right now. Um, to be honest, I love it. As, it's fun to preach to a packed room. It is fun to hear voices in a packed room. I know our worship team loves it when every seat is, is filled. And if you're a core member of Highland, my gosh, we pray for, the, for this. We ask the Lord to send us people. We ask the Lord to give us opportunity to share the gospel, to declare God's love, to declare the truth of Christ and the grace of Christ. Something working against us this year is we don't have an overflow in, in the chapel like we've had the past couple of years. There are now two growing ABFs that meet in there on Sunday morning, which is awesome, but it's not a place for us to kind of spill over. We will have maybe 100 chairs or so uh, in, in the lobby at 8.40 and at 10 o'clock and 11.20. So that may be a place uh, for you to, to be able to, to spill over as well. But what I'm trying to say is if you can't be here at this time, um, that'd be awesome. You know, maybe go to 1120, uh, 840 would be next, and then way, way, way down. In fact, if you can't read those bottom two numbers, don't, don't even ask your neighbor what those, those two numbers say. You can kind of pretend like we don't even have a, a 10 o'clock. And so we would love for you to make it 11, 20, or 8, 40 if you could. So how, how is this going to look on the outside? So on the outside, we're going to need a, a heart of service for parking as well. So let's talk very quickly about, about parking. I know this is, and I think the very top line on the screen says, if you are able. So if, if it's difficult for you to walk or it's, uh, you have a handicap or you have a situation that you're just not able to make, make that walk in, then please, you can completely forget the next 45 seconds or so. But if you're able to park, really what we're trying to say is anywhere but a parking space, um, park there somewhere on the street. Um, if you park on the street, just make sure we love our neighbors well by not parking in front of their driveway or as a few of you have done in their driveway, either one of those things would probably uh, not be good for us on our Monday morning conversations that we sometimes have 
uh, with, with our neighbors. Another opportunity for you, or maybe this would be helpful for you to know, um, Dean Highland Elementary has offered up all of their parking places for us, which I know doesn't sound like a lot on a Sunday morning, but they also have a gated uh, parking lot. They've given us the key to that gated parking lot and have said, you open it up, it becomes yours on Sunday morning. And so we will have a, a golf cart going back and forth between Dean Highland and, and the main campus. So you can park down there anytime after 8.15, actually starting at 8.15 a.m. And they will uh, maneuver you back and forth. Moms and dads, maybe you convince your kids that it's kind of like, Disney World Waco, you get on a golf cart for a while and get to kind of go, go back and forth on a free ride. But that, there's about 70-something places down there at, at Dean Highland, so that would be a, a, maybe an opportunity for you to think about. Maybe every now and then you, you think to yourself, what would it look like uh, for me to, to dial it up one notch on serving my church family? What would it look like to maybe to serve in a better way, a richer way, a, very, a more tangible way? And I would just say parking anywhere but a parking spot or going to 1120 would be a, an easy, I think, hands-on way to serve the body of Christ here. Really what we're asking to do is to do that for about eight weeks. Um, in those first eight weeks is when we just see a flood of people that are they're visiting churches, um, trying to decide where they want to land. And so we just wanna be, Colossians chapter three, just as hospitable as we can, as open-armed as we can, as loving as we can be for those who come. Lastly, I have some bad news some good news, and some news news. And so let me give you the, the bad news yet. Inflation has bitten us on, on the Wellness Center. Um, there's about an overage of $725,000 or so um, that we need to pay. Um, certainly inflation has been a part of that. Um, concrete has been a huge part of that. Lumber costs have been a part of that. Um, all the site work, the site development has been a part of that. If you're in the construction world, this is probably of no surprise for you. If you're in the retail world, probably no surprise to you either. And so that's kind of the bad news, if you will. But I, I got some good news to, to counter with that. There has been a, a group of some givers here in our church that have said we would love to start giving toward that now. And so um, a small group of givers have given about $350,000 uh, for that. And so now we're, the, the, it has gone down, if you will, to $375,000. Yeah, we can thank God for that. Um, but we still have $375,000 to go. And so I, I just say that to you. I, I have learned about God's faithfulness. and I've learned about your generosity, Highland, that I don't have to get on my knees and beg or have to, to plead or try to e emote giving you know, out of you. Um, maybe there's 100 people here that'd be willing to give um, $3,700 for us to, to get there. Or maybe 10 people who are willing to give $37,000. Or maybe there's that one person that wants to write a $375,000 check when this uh, gathering is over. In fact, if you do, um, I will, I'll buy you Whataburger for, for lunch. And so I know that's a, uh, a very expensive burger for you, but I'll be glad to, to do that. I can't today. My son gets married this evening, but next Sunday I'll be glad to, uh, yeah, there is a God. You can thank, uh, thank the Lord for that. There is a God and there's a very kind, patient girl as well that was willing to, uh, to marry my son. If God puts in your heart to, to give, uh, we would love to, to move toward that being a, a zero. And I, we'll keep you updated through the family email on Sunday morning. But again, if God is moving your heart right now, and honestly, if it's to give $10, to me, that's an incredible sign of obedience. So whether it's, it's giving you know, financially, whether it's parking in a place that you normally don't park, maybe it is 
um, going to a gathering that you normally don't go to, or maybe even sitting in a seat that's not even your preferred seat on a Sunday morning. I, I just wonder if in the heart of Highland, if we could all come to a place where we would simply believe this and live this, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I think if we would line up with that, I think if we will line up with that, everything else falls into place. Like, like, like the giving, the, the potential frustration of August 21st, a gathering that is not your preferred gathering, a seat that's not your preferred seat. If we can get to that place where we say with, with Paul, we say with the church at Colossae, we say with all those who are in Christ, we serve the Lord Christ. Everything falls into place. It has, it is, it will. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the graciousness of your kindness toward us. Father, we thank you for the joy of, of being able to rightly relate to one another. God, because of Christ in us. So Jesus, you are, you are first in and over all creation. You, you are first in the pattern of of salvation. And because of that, Jesus, we want you to be first in the way that we relate to others. Would you, would you help us this week to realize that every interaction we have with every person this week is just one more glorious opportunity you have given us to give an offering to you. So we want to live yielded, surrendered lives where our answer always is, yes, Lord. God, before you even ask us the question, the answer is yes. By your grace, would you help us to surrender? It's through Jesus that we joyfully pray and now we joyfully sing together as your people.